Welcome to Call to Farms. Today we're so excited to bring our guests, Rachel and Kyle Hester from Whoopsie Daisy Farms in Kentucky. They have an eight and a half acre homestead started before 2020. And we just thought their story is so interesting. Rachel is a published author of the Guide to Homestead Dairy Sheep with Sawdust Publishing. And we're so excited to have her on the show and to hear more about their story and to their journey into homesteading. So welcome, Kyle and Rachel. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So yeah, so let's get started. We'd love to hear um, how you guys started and how you answered the call to farms. We just decided... We were going to buy a house, stop renting and buy a house in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I'd always had the desire to have a farm, but I thought, eh, that's a retirement dream. That's that's way down the line. After I'm finished working, we'll have a little hobby farm, that kind of stuff. And we kept looking and kept looking and actually found a foreclosed piece of land. And so it was a house with eight and a half acres and a couple of barns and that kind of stuff. And so we grabbed it and... Don't know if I would do a foreclosed place for our first home again because the previous tenants wrecked it and so literally took everything, including the kitchen sink. Yeah, literally the kitchen (laughs) sink was gone, and so it has been not well cared for in terms of uh, husbandry or anything like that. So we are really in rehab mode on the land and that sort of thing. So we had the land, and then it was the question of what do we do with it. Mm-hmm. So we made the first fateful Murray McMurray chicken order, just like everybody does when they get into homesteading, and mm-hmm. we were off from there. Except everyone in Kentucky has chickens. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had a certification in nutritional therapy, which is kind of how we got rolling into homesteading before retirement, was you'd had some health issues, and I learned about nutritional therapy, and we learned about how it's not just what you eat, it's what you eat eats is important. So um, I was really focused on making sure our chickens had like herbs every day and minerals and, you know, I used essential oils on them. So I was charging probably five times what the locals were because it was worth it. But I mean, we live in an area where people give away eggs. So (laughs) we weren't really competitive in our market. And giving a credit for credits due one of her assigned readings during nutritional therapy class was a book by michael Pollan where he talked about his visit to polyface and his staying with the salatins and so she was reading that to me that's what really keyed in my mind where i said hey we could do this so shout out to to joel and his crew mm-hmm. they i you know wanted to farm but thought it's beyond reach until well, you were we started told it wasn't told it was beyond you were reach. told like i think didn't your grandpa say like do not farm mm-hmm. like that that's <laughs> i work so hard so you didn't have to farm mm-hmm. you you go to college you get a good education you can come visit my farm when you want to but you don't you don't need to do that mm-hmm. and so i read about joel salton in omnivore's dilemma and i was like this guy kind of sounds like he might know what he's talking about huh um so i went to our library <laughs> and they had the sheer ecstasy of being a lunatic farmer and i started reading it and i was like what earthworms dance? What? Like we're partnering with soil microbes. And so I would read to you some of those sections and that was right kind of in the height of all your health issues. So you really weren't passionate at that point about anything. And I remember one day reading a section of that book to you. And I remember you like you turned and you looked at me in the eye and it was like the first time you'd done that in a while. And you said, I could do that. 
And I was like, okay, we're buying a farm now. What do we do? Because like <laughs> you hadn't had that in yeah. such a long time because of your health. And yeah. I was like, whatever this is, we need to go. We need to do it. Yeah. So. And that was how long ago? Well, it was 2017, so six years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we feel like we're in the old crowd because we had a place for four <laughs> 2020. Yeah. So you had chickens when the country yeah. went into lockdown. Yeah. No, we had chickens, ducks, geese, bees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because you were spending money on um, essential oils on your chicken right. and, sp- and, and charging so much and yeah. not getting business, is this why you switched to sheep? Yes. Yeah, so we we were going to well, get goats. No. No. Just yeah, well, the the four legged <laughs> the four legged were on the horizon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it was supposed to be goats, which again. God's providence, we didn't get goats. Everybody I talked to said we had goats, not we have goats. Oh yeah, we're down. We're down to one ourselves. Yeah. We, yeah. It's, it's, in the, it's in the past tense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we were going to get the goats. Pandemic started. That scuttled the goat deal. And as we like to say, we did not buy any extra toilet paper the entire time. <laughs> we ever. did not. We did not buy a single extra sheet of toilet paper that we did not normally use. But what we well, did because we usually we, buy it ahead of time. Like we usually would buy oh. a, a huge bulk amount like a month in advance. And mm. so when everyone ran yeah, like out, a, like a thirty pack, yeah, like we already had it. And also since I studied herbs, I was like, there's a lot of mullein leaves in our pasture. Like we don't <laughs> need so toilet like, paper. So we did not buy any extra toilet paper. We did not buy pasta. But what we did panic buy were two sheep. Nice. So yeah. I thought the, I thought maybe you were gonna. Use the wool instead of toilet paper. That's an also an option. <laughs> it's an option, but that's I feel like that'd be too valuable. Right. I mean, that, that's too really valuable. that's a lot of work for toilet paper. I think I'd still just use some grass yeah. or something. Yeah. So, Kyle, your family, your grandfather was a farmer. Mm-hmm. Okay, did, mm-hmm. did you have any experience growing up and and um, following in his footsteps, sir? I did. So, I mean, the way my family went, they've lived on the same piece of ground for three generate four generations four generations now so with stopping with your grandpa yeah like someone in the family has like your dad's generation and your generation and then the following generation on it so like in some parts of the family there's seven generations on this property but with your it was it was a plantation from the civil war that got busted up and so um so that was intimidating when we were dating because there's this ledge overlooking the valley a mountain a mountain yeah and he it's called Red Rock. And he took me up onto Red Rock and he shows he like points to everything and he's like, There's where Hesterland ends. And it was like Pride Rock. Like yeah, it was, it you was know, like, Lion King. You know, like when Lion King King. when he's like, Anywhere the sun touches, Simba, that's where you can it was like that. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm like marrying into these landowner, gentleman farmer people. Who am I? I'm just this little German immigrant, illegal indentured servant descendant, and these are like but landowners. Could I could cook. Could cook. <laughs> I had that going for me. <laughs> so, Rachel, your family didn't farm, or did you have any experience farming? So, my grandpa hand milked uh, milk cows in Wisconsin. Um, his his dad owned a hardware store, and people would pay off their hardware store bills with cows. Hmm. So <laughs> he did not. So they had the family farm. They had the family farm. Yeah. He um, went into teaching. And so I remember growing up, like, having the little, you know, children's storybooks and saying, oh, one day I think I want to have a farm. And everyone in the family's like, don't do it. There's no money in it. You're way too smart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So Uh actually, when we bought our farm, it was like, 
I felt like I was coming out to my grandma. I'm like, grandma, <laughs> I have something to tell you. And she's like, oh, you're pregnant. I'm like, no, we bought a farm. And she's like, how could you? And she's like, you're not going to like it. I'm like, well, we're going to try it. Please still love me. Um, so now she's now she thinks it's great because... Yeah. Because we're actually doing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but but back to your question. Mm-hmm. So, my grandpa had great great grandfather and grandfather were both farmers. That's what they did. My grandfather was one of thirteen, and so when his dad died, they busted it up. So we go from thousands of acres, and now he's got his forty-four acres spot. Wow. And so he was the first. Uh, that his generation was the first bivocational farmer. I would call it. You know, they went and did their day jobs. They came mm-hmm. back and they farmed because that's what they had done their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So that's what I grew up with um, after he retired was every school break, extra long weekend, summer break, whatever like that. I was running to Alabama to go mm. play on the farm. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, I enjoyed hay season because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I wanted to go bell hay. I mean, I, my, my dream was to quit school at 16 and become a farmer. That got axed pretty quickly. But... Mm-hmm. But ironically, when I started learning nutritional therapy, I remember we would have to bring a cooler of food to his grandparents because they're, they were in a food desert, which was so weird because, I mean, they're on this small family farm and we had to bring eggs and raw milk and, which, you know, we're legally transporting milk. Um, <laughs> but we had, to, we had to bring chicken to cook there because, like, there weren't any decent places to buy it there and there were no one was raising their food. They just all had their you know, Angus, Hereford Cross cows that they were selling the calves to essentially CAFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, Knowing one, what I know now, it makes me so sad. I used to love going to the stockyards, and now I'm just... Now I'm but mm-hmm. one time we brought a meat bird down there live. We, we, we brought two meat birds live meat to birds. the farm, and his grandma was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and um, it's supper. It's supper. And so we were like, Pap, can you show... Because like he grew up doing yeah. this. We're like, Pap, show us how to do this. And he was he was great killing the chicken well mm-hmm. I, it was kind of traumatic for you wasn't it It was yes because did he chop off the whole head uh well, he chopped off the whole head the problem was he did not have a block to stretch it on so he used me to stretch it and he's in his <laughs> 80s at this point he's got the axe gonna whop it oh, between no. my two hands and i'm going this might not be my best life choice ever <laughs> <laughs> i've trusted him in my life before thankfully god watched over me that day but yeah you the, told me about it thing, after it was done I, and like not before i learned something in 10 years of marriage yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. but the funny thing is where he's one of 13 they had an assembly line thing where chickens were concerned so he knew how to kill the chickens hmm. but we taught him how to pluck and mm-hmm. eviscerate the chickens <laughs> Because they, the boys would kill them and hand them off to the girls, and the girls did the right. plucking and the, and yeah. the gutting. Yeah. So we went to Aunt Dottie's later that night, and I'm like, Dottie, your brother doesn't know how to gut a chicken. And she like got this smug look on her face, and she's like, no, he doesn't. And I'm like... She said, you bring it to me. I'll show you. Yeah, it was like this pride thing, because she's the baby of the whole family. She's like, I know something my big brother doesn't know. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I started something. What I found fascinating is that, so you bought this home, mm-hmm. that, and you restored it, mm-hmm. And you built a homestead. Now, mm-hmm. for all these other people that are looking to homestead, mm-hmm. and they have a limited budget as well, <laughs> how do you even attack something like this? What What was the priorities, the order of priorities? And did you do it both at the same time? Did you restore the house and build your homestead at the same time? No, we had we were given very clear parameters by our by our lender that mm-hmm. we actually had to get the certain things like the kitchen sink and the flooring and stuff like that fixed up within the first mm-hmm. 10 days of, of closing. Aside from that, 
you, our water heater is still in our master bathroom. Yeah, you learn to so. you learn to adapt and live with a lot. So our mm-hmm. early '80s motif of our house is still an early '80s motif of a house. I did paint she did over paint the the wood the wood paneling, paneling mm-hmm. that yeah. is everywhere in yeah. the house. The entire house was wood paneling. Yeah. Um, so that that that's the biggest thing I can say is you got to make your priorities. If you want the better homes and gardens house. You're not gonna have the homestead if you mm-hmm. have that limited budget kind of thing. You gotta give. Mm-hmm. You gotta mm-hmm. give and take somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, for example, these folks when they left, they ripped out all the again early '80s the ceramic fixtures that were in the bathrooms mm-hmm. for the toilet paper and the towel holders and all that kind of stuff, um, and left a bunch of jagged edges stuff. I mean, it cut somebody that was coming in to fix the toilet because they ripped the toilet out, and so you know. Instead of redoing the whole bathroom, which is something we would like to do one day, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you take a chisel and a hammer, and you smooth off those edges, and you move on. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, removed mm-hmm. the actual tile that was broken, so yeah. there's like tile in our bathroom, and then there's like this square with drywall behind it, and everyone's like, "What happened?" And we're like, "Well, we wanted you to not, you know, be yeah. endangered when you <laughs> use the bathroom." So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oftentimes I tell our clients <clears throat> who have like limited budget. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things, if it's just cosmetic, just move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're trying to build the homestead. Mm-hmm. Because for us, we moved, you know, we have a five-acre property with a mm-hmm. modular on it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like, we are land-rich and house-poor. Mm-hmm. And and, right. and the thing first thing that we focused on was growing food mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and amending the soil, mm-hmm. building soil health, and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, because with we, Joel Salatin, he says you know, put animals on it now. So we bought used chicken tractors from the Amish. Do not recommend. Which, which, which that was their culls. If, if the Amish now. are selling you chicken tractors, you don't want them if they're used. Like if you commission them to build them, then that's fine. If they're selling you their used chicken tractors. It didn't work for them. So obviously it's going to work it. for you. The Amish it? are really good at making things work. If they can't make them work, you don't want it. So <laughs> this L- was a- literally the day before we left home. One of the tractors that I've patched together, patched together, it finally just gave up. We had to move the chickens out of it, move it into another tractor because it just gave up. It, yeah. it collapsed. And the other one, they were like modifying dimensions. And so it was like <laughs> we went to Polyface and told Daniel Salatin about it and his eyes got really big. He's like, no, that's that's way too. You don't. Why? What? Like he, I don't think he finished a sentence. And we're yeah. like, well, yeah, we, we had some creative Amish yeah, they, people. They, 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 they built one that was like a Salatin tractor, except it was much bigger and it was made out oh. of not lightweight materials. It was made out of two by fours. Two by fours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, I moved that thing wow. uphill. Yeah. And then my back said no more. I used so, to move it, and then and my back said, absolutely it, yeah. not. We yeah. call it the Millennium Falcon. Oh, right, yeah, right, right. that's right. <laughs> right. And right now it's still sitting in the field because it has not been moved. It's essentially and, a greenhouse for poison ivy right yeah. now. So, <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you, 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 you're you, not, I mean, we still do not have a tractor or anything like that. We have a riding lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Some, some, you know, somebody here, we have eight and a half acres. They said, oh, you got a four-wheeler and a mule or something, right? I said, no. They said, what do you got? I said, my legs. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can only do what you can do. Well, and you decide what you want to do. Like, that was part of the thing, too, is I had, I think I had a more clear picture in my mind going in than Mm -hmm. you did, because I wanted to grow everything. I wanted to grow all our own herbs, all our own food. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't because I was afraid of anything at that point. I just was like, I wanted the most nutrient-dense, mineral, vitamin-rich stuff possible, and I didn't know anyone else doing it. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I want this, I either have to go to Europe 
or just grow it myself. So I'll just grow it all myself. So we got fruit trees that first year because I was like, we need we need good apples. Um, we put in some herbs and then we did the chickens. Like we, we started investing in animals pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because we don't have any fencing on our property. No. Um, so, <laughs> no. so, so that's why we did the chicken, the chicken tractors with the chickens. And then we would slowly, there was a couple of barns on our property that the previous owners like stored, you know, hay or tractors and stuff. And so we like, he would bring home pallets from work and we'd slowly start building fences around him or patching up things. So it was kind of a, I mean, the funny story is that his grandpa built a house for his wife and two kids, one tool at a time. So like he would go to work at the factory and with the extra little bit of money he had from their budget, he would go buy a tool or buy some lumber or buy some nails and then go and work on this one little section of the house. So like, Mm -hmm. I think we both kind of had that ingrained in us because, you know, my family is very frugal, German, whatever. And so we kind of had this whole, we're not going to. We're not going to wait and save up and like do one big, huge thing. We're just going to do little bits at a time as we can and just kind of add on, add on, add on. So. Yeah, we've been to your farm. I like that pallet fence that you have there. It's pretty, <laughs> that was, pretty ingenious. That was fun and uh, in some case a lifesaver because we were going through brush that was so uh-huh. so thick. I had mm-hmm. to use the pallet kind of as a battering ram to flatten it <laughs> to go you know, like, a, like a steamroller. Yeah. yeah. So, so Rachel, then how did you get into sheep? Because this is what you're known for. Yeah. And I remember when you... We came up with our children. You were teaching them how you know how to spin wool, mm-hmm. and it was just so fascinating. How did you even get interested in this? Is this something you learned about as a little girl? Yeah, actually. So funny story. My best friend as a kid, her mom owned a yarn shop, and they had a homestead um, before we called it homesteading. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had two llamas, two sheep, and 18 angora rabbits. So um, they also had a Nintendo 64 and a trampoline, two things I also didn't have. So the rule was we couldn't jump on the trampoline or play on the Nintendo <laughs> until we had carded wool. Until we, we had carded, like, till we had combed or washed or oh. processed the wool. We had to do this ancient medieval era chore mm-hmm. before we could do modern day mm-hmm. fun. Wow. Um, which, you know, the, the kids hated. But for me, it was like two for one. Like, I can go and learn this really cool medieval thing and then also go play on your video games that I don't have. So, um, so I loved it. Like, I remember one time going to the mom's store and I was like, you know, can Anna come play? And she's like, no, she's not here, but there's some you know, wool you can go play with. And I think I went and just played in the corner with this wool for like an hour. Mm. And um, I remember her coming up and telling me like, this is actually a breed of sheep that like most people don't use for, you know, clothing, but it's actually was traditionally used this way. And if you process it this way, then you can use it for that. So I kind of had this weird education from a really early age of like, not all wool has to be the softest, you know, (laughs) commercial breed. It can be an odd you know, off the wall breed if you do it a certain way. So, mm-hmm. um, and then my great grandma knit. And so whenever you went to see great grandma, she had actually purchased two yarn stores at cost when the owners died back in the seventies. So mm-hmm. the rule was, a lot of yarn. the rule was if you visit a gram, you had to take yarn home. Like she was like, if you don't take yarn home, you're not visiting. Cause she just had so much. Mm-hmm. And this had already been like two or three generations. So, um, <laughs> So when we, got, we, started, we, got a lot of when we started dating, he just knew that, you know, we would have to pack our car full of yarn and um, <laughs> some of it was, was acrylic, but a lot of it was really cool wool and cashmere and like Angora blends and stuff. And so I just kind of was spoiled from an early 
point of like why use the crappy acrylic you can use this really good nice stuff because she had too much of it so she was giving it away um so in my mind i was like you know again when he retires and we're rich and all that we'll have some sheep so i can still play with yarn Mm -hmm. um and then when i did mission work on in europe um i was in eastern europe and they would i would eat local food and i would eat cheese quite a bit and my favorite were always sheep milk cheeses Hmm. So I kind of had in my mind like, oh, well, I'll milk a sheep. Like I'll be the only American who ever milks a sheep because I didn't know anyone else was doing that. So <laughs> um, I also just kind of was like, I didn't know anything like what breeds you do. I just knew, you know, you can milk sheep. And I was like, well, if I have wool sheep, I might as well milk them because, you know, two for one. Because, again, that was your one panic purchase of the pandemic was you wanted four-legged critters that could provide a source of meat, mm-hmm. potential milk. We really didn't even think about the milk on that aspect too much with the first ones. And then the wool was clothing or whatever like that. And then, so uh, it was trap yeah. purpose. So we bought the first two. It was a brother-sister pair. Mm-hmm. And then once we had them for a few weeks, if memory serves, mm-hmm. and we started thinking, okay, maybe we could do this sheep thing. I get a phone call one day and at work, and I worked at an airport at the time. So you're talking the parking lots are abandoned, no one's there, so forth. This is mm-hmm. spring of... 2020. 2020. Yeah, it was during the lockdown. Yeah, so spring, you... early spring of 2020. Yeah. And I get a phone call, and she goes, there's these two dairy sheep in Ohio. They're in milk right now. We should look into them. And I'm sitting here going, I don't want to rush things. I want to hold yeah. off. Well, then... I feel you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and then... But it was a good deal, I right? It was, well, it, well, I kept talking. No, they were really the, rare breeds. It yes. was very good genetics. Yes. It was very close. It was within driving distance. We could go there and back in one day. They were about $250 no, cheaper. But the, but compared to what we had just bought, my first sheep purchase, compared to what we just bought, they were about two to three times more expensive. Yeah, because <laughs> these cheap... The one we bought were $150 and $100. So it was 250 mm-hmm. for the brother-sister pair. Yep. And then these used were 350 a piece. A piece. So that scared me. Yeah. So he's like, well, that's a lot of money. But Yeah. And so I said, hold on. We need to wait on this. We need to sleep on this. That kind of stuff. Well, then I said, get... we can't. We can't sleep on well, it because it's going <laughs> no, fast. Well, <laughs> uh, she, she said, okay. And then they get sold. Hmm. I was and so she oh, was. I, no. I, I I got some wrath over that. One. Oh no! <laughs> I was so um, mad. Uh-huh. But then all of a sudden, a day or so later, she says the owner called and said the people backed out. Do we want them? I said okay. I, I'll learn my lesson twice. So I said yeah. Let's go get them. So that's then I forgave him. It was fine. After yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we drive to Ohio with a trailer I made myself. Not a good idea. Um, <laughs> And, Wait, well, and, a trailer you made yourself. Let's let's rewind. Uh, <laughs> it's, I'm interested. It, it, it's DIY stock trailer. Okay, you, you can find it on Pinterest. I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, you take a conventional trailer from say Lowe's or Tractor Supply, which right. we had mm-hmm. worked great for hay. Uh-huh. Um, and then you take cattle panels and you try to make hoops and oh. stuff like that oh. for the stock. And you zip tie it down. And you zip tie oh. it down. And then you try to put a tarp across it. And then you, you get ratchet the, strap the tarp and down. You ratchet oh. strap the tarp down. <laughs> And then you get on the interstate, and the laws of <laughs> everything of physics yep. makes you say a lot of words you probably shouldn't say on national television. Yeah, yeah this is a kid's um, do not try at home moment, just yeah. so we're clear. So what should have been a three-hour trip took about five hours of me stopping every 20 minutes trying to re-secure what was blowing around. Yeah. But 
But this mm-hmm. was during the lockdowns, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen my grandparents, and they were at this retirement center. Yeah. And so I called my grandma once we got the sheep, and I'm like, hey, are you asleep? Because she goes to bed at like 8 o'clock sharp, right? And this was 8.05. And she texts back, and she's like, why? And I was like, great, you're awake. Look out your front door. And so like, we drive into the <laughs> retirement mm-hmm. neighborhood, yeah. And it became like condos. a parade. Like yes. everyone was like looking out oh, yeah. their windows. So like, it, what it, are it, those crazy kids doing? It's us driving a Buick SUV with a DIY stock trailer <laughs> with two sheep in the back. And angry and, sheep. And this is and very opinionated sheep. And this is right when everyone's out walking their dogs and all that kind of stuff. So by the time we pull into the little cul-de-sac and loop around, we talk to them for a second. We pull back out. It's like we're Main Street USA. I mean, people were out waving, wow. and I kind of, I'm like, okay, so good. We brought entertainment. We brought so. joy. We did. Oh, so, but, yeah, it's but like a little petting two, zoo. It yeah. was. So these two were already in milk. So we yeah. brought them home and started milking them okay. right then. So that's yeah. when we got our first real taste of sheep milk. I got a taste. You got a taste. You got a whole jar. I did. Because I... Because I'm an only child and I was greedy. And I'm the oldest of five. And so I took a taste. And I'm like, oh, you have to try this. And he took it and chugged the whole thing. <laughs> Not, and I was angry. Because I wanted to. I got a different memory of that one, but we'll go with yours. <laughs> My memory's in the book. That's true. So it's documented. Oh, man. The bottom line <laughs> well, is she put I, it in the book. She did put it in the book, yes. The bottom line is that I did down a whole quart of sheep milk, yes. In one sitting. In one sitting. Yes. Well, sheep milk is is different than cow milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's sweeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's known as the champagne of milk. Yeah. Sweeter, mm-hmm. lighter. I mean, even milking the sheep. Remember, you gave us mm-hmm. uh, a quick lesson on that, too. It's a whole lot different than milking cows. It is. Mm-hmm. How did you learn to milk sheep? A lot of YouTube videos. I think okay. I, think and I trial just... trial and error. Yeah, I think... There weren't many videos on milking, on hand milking, because we weren't using a milking machine at that point. So um, no mentors. No. Did well. We had an Amish couple who we had bought goat milk from, and I think I remembered asking the husband, like, "Hey, is this kind of how you milk?" I think I think you were at work, and I went over. I'm like, "Alan, I believe you now." Because okay. at first, is it, I wait, no wait, is it in the book? No, it's not in the book. <laughs> I love your facial expressions, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. I was, I'm like Gandalf going, I have no memory of this place. I, I so. think I asked Alan if I could watch him milk his goats once. Okay. And then the rest of the time I watched YouTube videos. Okay. Yeah. And to be fair, at that time I worked 24 hour shifts. So a whole day could go by and she could do something I would never know. And I, I think we didn't have smartphones at that point because we, we were old and crazy. That's right. Um, or young and crazy, yeah. something. But yeah, but we didn't have like, we didn't have mentors for the sheep. Mm-hmm. Like we had. A Facebook group that I asked questions on, and then I YouTubed a lot. We would have loved some mentors. We would have really loved some mentors. That would have been wonderful. Well, and the person we bought our first two sheep from offered to be a mentor, but then after the purchase of the sheep, we discovered we had incredibly different political views and... And lifestyle views and everything. And lifestyle views and just... And there was a time stamp on it where you only ask for advice the first, like, 30 Mm. days or something like that. Okay, I forgot about that. What? Is yeah, that an unofficial official thing? Oh, she. I think she told us like. Yeah, that was in that was in the the purchase plan. Oh, it's just like okay, you, you, you can call and ask me for advice for like thirty days, and then yeah. after that, right during the honeymoon stage of owning animals, it's very yeah. convenient because I mean much. the animals behave themselves the first yeah. sixty days. I feel like, and then after that, they're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, they trust they're, us. They're not Let's trying go. to die at that point. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So but so 
first two sheep, non-dairy breeds. Then we buy the two that are in milk at that time. And so that's spring of 2020. By the time December, January rolls around, we had... Then we had the... Eight. Yeah, because then we got the Gulf Coast. So So we bought... we, We did a lot of... We broke a lot of what I would call tyrannical rules. We crossed a lot of state lines going to get sheep during the <laughs> pandemic. And we had to keep it completely quiet because yeah. your job at the time was super paranoid. Like if you yeah. went into a different city, they were like, get tested. Yeah. Are you, are really? you sick? Oh yeah. yeah they we, were... we, we made a lot of, uh, on the, on the down low sheep runs. Yeah. So like I would, I would tell people like, Hey, can you watch the dog? Don't put it on any social media. Cause like mm-hmm. no one can know. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're getting sheep. And they were like, are sheep like some kind of forbidden substance to bring into our state? And like, no, his job can't know that we're being exposed to other people. So just keep it on the DL. So let's talk about Kyle's job because we've kind of hinted hinted at his job <laughs> that he has these different shifts. And that's uh, true. Can we say what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now so, we can. So I'm a I'm a police officer. I'm a firefighter, and I'm an EMT. But my full time job now is a police officer. Thank you so much yeah. for <laughs> your service. You. Yeah, yeah you. for keeping us all safe at home. Thank you. Definitely, it's much appreciated. <laughs> and, and actually, we went over to their farm and took our children, yeah. and we got to fire a couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah, was fun. Big Second Amendment proponent. It was on our very farm. good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you think your background kind of helped you in terms of your experience in the paramilitary world to help you in homesteading? It did from the aspect of I, even when it's hard work, because homesteading is hard work. I make mm-hmm. no bones about it. Homesteading is very hard work. It's mm-hmm. not a hobby when you feel like it type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so enduring the suck. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, but what, what, the, what my job puts it in perspective of is even when I'm working that hard on the homestead, it's still relaxing and wholesome. Most uh, police officers have to go work at a gym for sure. at least yeah. an hour after each shift to decompress. Yeah, right. So he doesn't have to do that. He just goes out and throws some feed sacks around and wrestles yeah. a ram and yells at a few chickens, and then we're good. I mean, even even in the tech world, too, where, you know, we're at the desk all the time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will have a, a very expensive, what is it, Equinox uh, membership to the gym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they'd have all sorts of things there, but... It's true. I mean, we never had that. All I'm saying is we don't even need a gym membership. No, well, I'm not no, talking about it from no. the work. I'm not talking about the keeping fit aspect. I'm taking yeah. from just, the just decompressing. decompressing. Yeah, exactly. Decompressing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and he still needs to decompress, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just different where he can just walk outside and just sure. still but, live but life. That's where I started to appreciate having our own little spot more. It's like, okay, this is my little... Area. Sanctuary. Yeah, and I can it, sanctuary. Yes, and I can mm-hmm. I can call the shots here. I can't do anything about the rest of the world and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but I can mm-hmm. make a difference right here on my spot. And well, that's, we had a, it's peaceful and quiet. Yeah, and, and we had to have a conversation because I wanted to have like a honeybee sanctuary for a while on our farm and like do Airbnb and have like tours and classes and stuff. And so I would tell him like, okay, here's the extrovert. I am very much the extrovert. Um, And I'd be like, okay, so here's where this garden's going to be for this lesson. And finally one day he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, we have all the tours and people and this and that. And he was like, 
No. Kyle's a police officer. He's like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have honeybees too. We, right. we yes. were at your place and you yeah. showed oh, us how to catch yeah. a couple of swarms. You were there at the right place at the right the time. The bees really liked you guys. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So when yeah. did the bees come? We were talking about chickens the and then sheep. The bees were first, actually. Were I forgot first. about okay. that. So we yeah. were living we, in we our- We had a rental house. We had a rental house and we actually, it was funny that we were in a really bad spot in our marriage, like really bad. And so we were in counseling and our counselor said you guys don't do anything fun and we had gotten just really 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 tunnel visioned on like duties and chores and jobs and stuff and he's like do something fun and so we left that counseling session going <laughs> what's fun why and we somehow found out at our library there was this beekeeping class for free and we're like okay that's it we're just gonna go once a week we go to this beekeeping class it's it's fun because we didn't know what else to do. We were just in such a weird place. We were, we were by decades the youngest people at that Oh, class. my gosh. We were by de- Like, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, young people. Why are you here? And we're like, our counselor told us we had to. So we started going to this class and meeting people. And just it, there was no agenda or objective or purpose. We were just there to mm-hmm. blow time and be together. And it really helped. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, we're like, well, crap, we want bees now. Sophie's nodding Boy, at me. Why? I think Stop. we need some more <laughs> yeah. fun in our lives. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, all I hear is another task now. I, that I we're want more so Additional what? animals. Well, watch no. out for what comes next because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm mowing the push mowing the grass at our little rental house. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm watching the grass. And all of a sudden, thankfully, I look up right in the amount of time because from the front of the mower to me, I'm looking at a bee swarm hanging eye level with me in a tree. He almost walked into it. Almost swarm. walked head first into it. Mm. And so, like, you now see what a bee swarm looks like. So it's hanging there, and, you know. It was huge. By the t- It was big. And by, so by the time. You wait, know, wait, wait. So how did you catch it then? Were you prepared? Did you no, have No, 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 no. no. This you, is like. Yeah, you were just mowing the lawn. We were just mowing the lawn. Yeah, so yeah, this so was so like, we happened? finished the class. This happens yeah. a week later, and we had been talking like. Or oh, is that a sign? Uh, right, because we, we were like, bees cost $150, <laughs> and the hives cost like, I don't know, $300. And then there's a quick. Like, we were telling up, and we were very, very staunch Dave Ramsey followers at that time. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we don't have this budget. We have no savings for bees. And we're like, okay, like in a year we'll save up. And then he almost face plants into this swarm of bees. <laughs> mm. And we don't know how long they're going to stay for right. or what's going to happen. So we call so, up the so bee. So you do? We so, call so, the bee teacher. So, no, you called me out there. No. And we stood at and looked at those bees for an alarmingly long amount of time. Now that I know what I know about yeah, bee swarms. The, the clock was ticking. The fact that they didn't leave was kind of miraculous. Yeah. And so then I said... <sighs> If he's so cool if God could just give us some bees. And you were like, yeah, it would. And then we look at each other and we're like, wait, maybe he did. So <laughs> there's we, bees in our backyard. There's bees right in our now. backyard. So I called the instructor of the beekeeping class, who was like the president of our local beekeeping club, who mm-hmm. I barely knew. And I was like, hey, so say supposedly there was like a bee swarm in my backyard. What would I do? And she's like, wait, is there bees in your backyard? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I have a spare hive. Come to my property. You can pay me later or you can work and pay it off, but come get it. And she told us what to do. So we ran, got the hive, came back, and they were still there, which, again, miraculous. Yeah. And then a friend who had a little bit of beekeeping experience came over. Like five minutes of experience. Yeah. Which was more than what we had. That's true. And (laughs) came over and kind of helped us so we basically did the same thing we did whenever you all there I mean, but it, we just shook it the was branch a lot and the... less coordinated because i was terrified oh well, yeah <laughs> well, um, I, I love how you mentioned that you had a friend 
you knew a guy right <laughs> who was just one step ahead of you exactly yeah and you still got it accomplished and, yeah. that, and that's that's beautiful that's that's homesteading and right there that boys and girls is homesteading in yep. a nutshell <laughs> she was the only one that got stung that was our own and that, was, that was the funny thing she yeah. was yeah she we was didn't get stung, stung that day she yeah. did so we shook the bees into that hive yeah. we hived yeah. them up and we were like starstruck lovers with this little hive. We went out every day and checked the outside of Set, the hive, never one. opened it up. And it had windows in it and that kind of stuff. And then we got busy. No, we we improperly added a box. Oh, that's right. And yeah. I think I started feeding them improperly too. Yeah. And so if you know anything about bees, the combination... Too much space and too much attractant for pests and that kind of stuff. So the hive died. They died. Mm. So, and then our landlords found out that we had bees in the backyard and they kind of freaked. So we were like, well. It 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 wasn't against city ordinance, so we were good. Hmm. Yeah, we we threw the book at them, which they were so appreciative of. Yeah. So we actually had, we didn't take bees with us to the new place. No, we didn't. We didn't have any bees. We didn't have any bees. But we wanted, like, that was kind of our goal. It's like we wanted a, we wanted an ecosystem where bees could thrive because that was a thing. One of the guys in the beekeeping club said is he was like, well, the bees died during the height of fly season. They may have got into fly poison. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, how do we stop that? And he's like, well, you don't. People just put it out. And so we were like, well, we need some place that's like away from road crops where people aren't putting out chemicals all the time mm-hmm. so bees could thrive. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how we picked our place because we were we were looking for agricultural land, not with row crops and stuff and we actually had found a really beautiful little property and it was perfect and it was smack dab in the middle of row crops and just conventional agriculture and it was a hard decision because we we really liked that place we really looked around and said we could buy this place but we'll never be able to keep bees they'll die Mm -hmm. every single Mm -hmm. day Mm -hmm. but so we weren't at our place long and we caught another another swarm of bees showed up Mm -hmm. so we've never bought a bee in our entire time of and the funny thing is i went to go get the bee boxes to catch that swarm Mm -hmm. and another swarm had moved into the equipment we already had Mm -hmm. so again we had to call the beekeeping club and say does anyone else have any more parts they don't want to use that we can cobble together a beehive with so so you guys seem to have a natural gravitation for the bees because when we were there visiting we had that one we were there for 24 hours Mm -hmm. and then um our youngest found a second swarm Mm -hmm. in your backyard Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just kind of alerting yeah. to us. Mm-hmm. We, we we catch one while you two were out shopping, and then all of a sudden <laughs> here comes a second one. So that is unheard of. That's cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. cool. Ironically, we've never harvested a drop of honey though. No, because mm-hmm. most beekeepers lose in Kentucky will lose between thirty to ninety to one hundred percent of their beehives every year. Wow. So most beekeepers in Kentucky have to buy in more stock, okay. um, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted sustainable beekeeping. Right. So. Um, we let them get established. We let them get established, and then we kept. We wanted them. We wanted a hive to be established for two years before we took honey off of it. But they kept dying, and so I actually started really researching. And I would make herbal tea for the bees, and I found a honeybee probiotic, and I was using uh, protein patties that weren't made with soy. They were actually made with like a spirulina powder. And so the funny thing is now that we have really good honeybee stock. But now we're too busy to we do anything with the bees. So, so. We, we have basically free-range honeybees. They can do what they want. <laughs> yeah. And they actually have thrived much more by leaving them alone. Yeah. So I, like I wanna them. I wanna I wanna bring it back to our the dairy sheep. Um it sounds like 
So then after you started with the bees, Mm -hmm. um, and then with the pandemic in 2020, Mm -hmm. you said, hey, we want to have some milk source Mm -hmm. and meat source and wool. Mm -hmm. So you brought in the dairy sheep. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us more about how you came about, you know, the breed and then Mm -hmm. how you expanded upon that? And and also, Mm -hmm. what got you to write this book? Yeah. So... The first sheet purchase with the Board of Lester's was just that's what was available. Um, and so the interesting thing was when I was, a, I researched the snot out of everything. So I was researching, Kyle's nodding very vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little tired sometimes of me researching things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was researching the Border Lester breed, um, I would always find that they were raised for wool, which is not considered the best wool because um, it's a little bit stronger. They were pre- predominantly raised for mi- for meat. Um, there'd always be this blurb of, and then they were used for milk at one time and there wasn't any more information on it. So I was like, well, I could, if they were raised at one time for milk, then I could milk them. And uh, when we were looking at goats, I had found San Clemente Island goats because their butter fat in their milk was higher than most other goats. Um, and we, we really wanted the butter fat in the milk. So that kind of just brought my attention to, to rare breed farm animals which i never knew was a thing like i knew there was endangered whales for example but i didn't know there was endangered livestock so um Hmm. just out of curiosity i was like well i wonder if there's endangered breeds of sheep and there's quite a few more breeds of sheep that are you know endangered than goats um and so i was like well i'll start the most critically endangered one first and see if they have anything to offer and then i'll work out from there so um that's how i found the gulf coast native sheep and then when i was researching the gulf coast native sheep there was again this little blurb that at one point they were used for milk and i was like well that's interesting so we had the border lesters and the gulf coast native and then i wanted a control group just to compare you know so i got the, the that's why i wanted the milk mutts yeah kyle's laughing at me <laughs> yeah. she's a science person i'm the history person yeah so I, I wanted the dairy breeds just as like a comparison like okay here's what the you know ones used for milk are like here's the ones that are not used for milk are like so and again it was during the height of the pandemic i was home i was bored i was lonely i didn't have anything else to do i was worried sick so let's just do a big sheep experiment so that actually gave it, me go ahead and it was funny when we started milking People's eyes would get big. You milk sheep? We, yeah, we milk sheep. And they, as we get large, we've never heard of that. And then if they were in the sheep community and we said we milk Gulf Coast natives, their eyes even got bigger because Gulf Coast are kind of a feral breed. And yeah, they so, tried to break, some tried to break your kneecap in the, hand the first day we brought them to our property. Wow. I mean, they're, they yeah. can be kind of intense. So, but she's got a great udder. So, <laughs> she does have a great udder. Yeah, horrible personality, great udder. Yeah. But, um, so that's what. You know, basically when folks were like, well, you milk cows or goats. No, we milk sheep. Oh, okay, you milk with these breeds of sheep. No, we milk the feral ones. So yeah, we, we, kind of we don't the, have... We take the path less trod. Yeah. So, and that can be a really interesting perspective because, like, when you look up sheep dairy, and, like, there's there's the dairy breeds. There's East Frisian, there's Awasi, mm-hmm. there's Lacone, there's Asaph, there's Clune Forest. Um, and then I actually did a poll on Facebook, and I was like, okay, which breeds are you all using and then on the actual sheep dairy board those weren't the majority of the breeds being milked most people were just using what they had because we don't have a lot of dairy breed genetics available in the united states so um i mean that was kind of encouraging to me because like i really wanted more people to be excited about sheep milk because it really is a really beautiful healing product Mm -hmm. 
But it's kind of hard to be like, hey, mom of six starting a homestead, you should milk sheep. Go buy a sheep that's going to be between $500 and $1,500 a head. Like, that's not really Mm -hmm. attainable for most people. But to say, you can milk a Katahdin if you want to. You can milk your wool breed if you want to. You can milk just a sheep, and the milk is going to still be incredibly nourishing was pretty cool. And then in doing the research for my book, I actually discovered that in, like, England – most breeds of sheep were milked at one point in time because the rich people had cows, but the poor crofters, you know, the country homesteaders, they all had sheep, and so they were just milking them, and that's where they got most of their milk. So it was like, oh, well, this is actually not a new thing. This is what we used to do before the Industrial Revolution. So that was that was pretty encouraging and fascinating to find out. Yeah, we, we actually chose the East Frisian uh, breed when we were in California mm-hmm. and mainly because not for the wool not for the meat not really for the milk it was for the ice cream that we can make with it <laughs> priorities sheep milk ice cream is pretty yeah. amazing and uh, we ended up bringing both our sheep and both our goats over mm-hmm. from California mm-hmm. and now we have a nice flock you have some really pretty sheep yeah. <laughs> I really secretly want to have a whole flock of black sheep so I've been selling off the white ones, well, pulling the, them and keeping the black so just the, because it's I identify as one. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> I, I, I know whenever we have a black lamb, I'm like, we're keeping it. And Kyle's like, but I'm like, no, there's no butts. There's no we're, butts. We're keeping it. Yeah. So there's the Dutch version of East Frisian is called Zorbels. Oh, that sounds better. I know. Maybe and I have a Zorbel. There's Zorbels and they're all black. They're all black with like a white strip yeah. down their nose. Oh, I so, think. Yes. I'm sorry, so you Tim. need Zorbels. Yes. I think I do have a Zorbel then. Yeah. So Tim... <laughs> You need a flock of zorbles. Sounds like a Furby. No. <laughs> <laughs> and they're fun to say, too. I like, know. I was putting that in my book, and the editors like messaged me. They're like, we had to look this up, because there was no way that was an actual breed. I'm like, no, it is. And it's fun to say and spell. We thought, we thought it was a typo. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's a real thing, I promise. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so this year, I know, has been a very significant year for you both. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very busy. Uh, you have birth two things this year <laughs> mm-hmm. one is the cutest little baby yeah. uh five almost five months almost five months yeah and uh and then just this week you mm-hmm. released your first book mm-hmm. and uh, i'm so excited and and you and i have been kind Com- of commiserating <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> since march when we met yes <laughs> it's been a long journey and i'm so just like seeing your video and now you know of you opening your book and now mm-hmm. like having it in hand it just arrived today yeah so i was i actually sent you a video of i it. know i was so excited when you sent me that i'm like oh good she has it like because i brought my copy in case you didn't get yours like here's sophie look at my beautiful book <laughs> and baby um yeah <laughs> but yeah. um so so tell us more about the book and tell me it t- um how can people order it because i know it's past pre-order the book's already out mm-hmm. um i'm sure they can go yeah to the publishing company or yeah so the publishing company is sawdustpublishing.com like like sawdust like you're making stuff with wood um and it is available on amazon in the u.s we're working on making it available um for amazon in canada and the uk and maybe maybe we can get it to australia and new zealand um I have a couple people there asking about it. I'm like, I hope I can get it there. We're trying to figure out shipping because it's kind of a doozy. Um, so, and Sawdust Publishing is an independent publishing company. It's based, you know, it's American owned. Uh, we contract with American companies for the printing and the editing and that kind of stuff. So it's not anything mass produced or whatever. So the price does reflect that. Um, 
a little bit. So we don't love that fact, but we wanted to keep things in in countries. So yeah, um, I mean that's that's exactly what we wanted. That was our values too for mm-hmm. for choosing a publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so ironically, it was not going to be a book at all. It was going to be a small pamphlet. Pamphlet, pamphlet that I wrote over mm-hmm. one weekend mm-hmm. in my spare time mm-hmm. before we're, I knew I was pregnant. We're talking construction paper, hand-drawn cover that you staple. Like, you know what Beth Daughtery has at her booth? Like oh, little $5 right, 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 ones, right, like right. the cheapo small ones? That, that, $6 now. Okay, was, $6. Okay, inflation. Yeah. That's, that's what that was supposed to be. And it's now 260-something pages. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited. Tell, tell that story, though, mm. about oh. how... You were, okay. you were inspired okay, to so, write this book. Yeah, so so it's I I think it's a fun story. So yeah. we mm-hmm. I like it. Um, we had decided to have a booth at Homesteaders of America. Mm-hmm. We were trying to get our name out there as you know homesteaders, and I had done a honeybee. I was gonna it was for the honeybees. I wanted to raise money for new beehives, so I had done a honeybee fundraiser and just on a whim made sheep milk soap to try to raise funds for the honeybees. And that was the most successful failure of anything I've ever done because the honeybee fundraiser flopped, mm-hmm. but I found out people really like sheep milk soap. So I took sheep milk soap and our yarn to Homesteaders of America. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine um, was giving a workshop on wool sheep for the homestead. And in her um, workshop, she casually mentioned, mentioned that wool sheep could be used for milk. And then she moved on. Like it was just a little point in her lecture and she moved on. Well, at the question point, half the questions were on sheep milk. And she kept saying, I don't milk my sheep. I I would love to answer your questions, but I can't. I'm very sorry. She was very gracious. And people just were like, no, we want to know about sheep milk. So at one point she looked at me and I looked at her and I just kind of nodded and she just kind of points to me. So I stood up and I'm like, I'm Rachel Hester. I'm from Whoopsie Whoopsie Daisy Farm. We have a booth. Come talk to me if you want to know about sheep milk. So Hmm. at the end of her workshop, half the people went to her, but half the people came to me with questions about sheep milk. And I was like, well, this is different. Why I didn't, I thought we were the only ones doing this. I thought we were weird. And so I went back to our booth and at one point, Kyle, you asked me like, what have you done? Cause people keep coming here asking me about milk and why, how, why? And I'm like, well, I kind of told everyone we did that. So at one point this guy comes to our booth and you have to understand, I just found out that morning I was pregnant. That was the other thing. Like, oh, like wow. just found out that morning. So I am both reeling from morning sickness and the news because we didn't know we could have kids at that point. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And this guy comes in and he is asking me question after question after question after question after question about sheep milk. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to not throw up on him. <laughs> and I'm finally like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, that's all I know to tell you, sir. And he goes well, I need more information. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have it. He's like, well, where's your book? Where's your class? Where's your workshop? Do you have a YouTube channel? Like, do you have a podcast? And I'm like, I don't have any of it. I'm sorry. And like, he was like (laughs) waving his arms like, I need information. And I'm like, well, here's my business card. I'm going to try to have a blog. Like, so he leaves. And Kyle looks at me. He's like, well, why don't you just write like a little pamphlet like Beth Daughtery has and Mm -hmm. You're a good writer. You write fast. You'll knock it out in a weekend. And I'm like, yeah, that'll, I'll just knock it out in the weekend, like between throwing up from the baby. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, it'll bring a little more extra income in. And apparently, somehow Janet Garman heard about that. Mm-hmm. 
And she was like, and she knew I liked to write because we had talked about that already because she's a published author. And I was like, hey, you know, are you interested in mentoring a new potential author? And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So she heard I was going to write this thing. And she was like, oh, no, no, we need to talk more. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I'm actually starting a publishing company. I want there to be more sheet books. And I like what I see on your Instagram when you write. So why don't you just write a little book for me? And I was like, oh, sure. I'll just and do that. Bippity boppity boop pamphlet becomes <laughs> book. Yeah. And so we signed the contract like two days after I hit my second trimester marker. And so I asked her, <laughs> I'd like the Homesteaders of America conference to be our launch event for the book. When would we need this to be done by in order for that to happen? And she's like, well, probably May 1st. And we're like, cool. Because the baby's not due till may 23rd mm -hmm. so that'll give us plenty of time because babies always 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 wait until their due date to show up <laughs> and they so never she, do anything different yes so she turns in her final transcript and within 12 hours is in labor yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like I, was, I feel like i was there for that you kind of were you kind of were. <laughs> kind of were because yeah. we were already really good friends and we were like author commiserating and i told you like hey yeah. uh -huh. i turned in my manuscript and you're like don't go into labor i was like oh no i won't do that i, I knew it and then it and then i text you the next morning i'm like um sophie i have to separate these three gallons of sheet and milk I, now and also i think i'm in labor and i told you to Stop mm -hmm. creaming the milk and go rest. Somebody didn't listen. No, I. I also then. To be, to, be, to be fair, she told you before she told me. You had a really bad week at work. I, I didn't know. want you to freak out. I know, but so. you, you should. You should feel special. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was very upset at her, and then couldn't get upset at her because she disappeared. And then I, I was yeah. like texting you, Kyle, yeah. while she Where was did in she labor. Go? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, like, and I'm a horrible texter. So you really yeah. are. And I am. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't say anything. I made sure that you yeah. got home safely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I think I yelled at you. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you were very nice about it. But you're like, are you home? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, how do you feel? I'm like, I think I feel good. And you're like, good. I am so mad at you right now. I'm like, oh, she loves me. <laughs> I'm glad you understand that because yeah. my mom talks to people, like my friends that way. And I'm like, you can't talk to my friends that way, mom. She's like, well, how do they know that I love them and I care? <laughs> yeah, and that's why I, so I yell at them. Yeah, She's exactly. like, that's why I yell at them. I yell because I love you. Yeah. So back to the book. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually looking at it right now. And chapter 14 has a list of some of your recipes. And yes. as a cookbook author, I get excited. Plus, I'm always the one that flips to the end of the book anyway. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> how does it end? How does it end? It ends with recipes. So tell me. So the cheese making recipes. And I've always wanted to learn how to make cheese. Yeah. Do you? you and I have um, David Asher's The Art of Natural Cheese Making. Yes. Um, do you use like raw milk to make cheese like how, oh, yeah. what are your yeah so okay so first of all the funny thing with the recipe section is i had i really wanted sheep milk specific recipes because most people who try making sheep milk cheese in america are using cow milk recipes and trying to convert it for cheese which really doesn't work because the sheep milk fat is much higher mm -hmm. um and the fats and proteins are different shapes so when you're making cheese with sheep milk you need to adjust the rennet, you don't add certain, like you, you just do it differently. So I really wanted recipes specifically for sheet milk. Like I didn't want to have to do all these weird calculations and right. experimenting. And so when I'd find a recipe, I get really, really, really excited. And um, so I was like, I hit these gold mines with these um, Eastern European websites who had starter cultures and all this stuff. And um, 
so I'm gathering all these recipes and just typing them into my chapter on sheet milk cheese. And I then texted my publisher and I'm like, um, Janet, this chapter is 40 pages. Do you want a 40 page chapter in your book for sheet milk? And she's like, no, let's do a book two. Yeah, that'll be book so two. So we just have four recipes in this book. And then we're probably going to do a follow up book that's all sheep recipes. So sheep meat, sheep milk. And then I may have a section for recipes for your actual flock because I do make some things for like parasite control and that stuff with the sheep. So so with this book, there's only four recipes. Um, and sheep soap. Yeah, I was I didn't put that in this one. Right. So, but it will but, be in the next one. But yeah. in the next one. Yeah, in the yeah. next one. Yeah, and I do make sheep milk shampoo as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Which is really nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're st- still so grateful for you coming, what, a month ago to show the kids and me how to make our own sheep milk soap yes. with your own sheep milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want um, our listeners to know about your book that's unique from any other book out there? Because quite honestly, I wish I had this book before we brought our East Frisian sheep home mm-hmm. so we can get more in-depth information and maybe even explore different breeds Mm -hmm. but i'm so glad that we have it now because we'll be able to learn more and um, share this with Mm -hmm. other people who are looking for it so this is the book i wish i'd had as well when i started sheep dairying um so again like i researched the snot out of everything so and i actually through owning my own sheep was able to make some friends overseas um with like a professional shepherd is on the Isle of Skye, for example, or in Australia or New Zealand. And like, these are people who, where the culture is still very sheep centric. And so, um, you know, we would joke it was SOS or 911 sheep. Like I would, I would message Joe and I'd be like, are you awake? I know there's time difference, but here's what's going on with my sheep. And she has this lovely Scottish accent. She'd write, you know, talk, send me a voice message back about it. So, so this is the book where like, I took all of the like the panic information and all the research I was doing and you know all the cool little tidbits and stuff and I just put it in one place for you to just go to and it's it's focused on producing sheep milk sustainably. So great. Like I have a whole chapter on rams and breeding, which most sheep books on the market now do not really talk about the rams other than well, they're kind of a pain and they get rude and like, you know, they only do their job once a year. And I'm like, no, that that's that's not there's a lot more to it than just that. So um, we talk about rams. We talk about breeding. We talk about nutrition. We talk about how the digestive system in a sheep works. Um, we talk about parasites and different methods of dealing with those because um, you really need a multi um, system attack for parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with, you can't. You can just use chemicals, but if you do just use chemicals, you are contributing to um, chemical resistance and parasites. And mm. at some point, the parasites will all be resistant to the chemicals, and then what do we do? So right. um, we talk about that because we just... take a multi-direction approach to to dealing with them. We do use chemicals on our farm when it's absolutely necessary, but... You mean like antibiotics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean like with the chemical wormers, we learned the hard way that if you just knock out a huge parasite load, you can still kill a sheep with that if you don't do follow-up treatment with the sheep because as the parasites die, they're actually leaving holes in the sheep's intestines and the sheep will still bleed out. So you still need to care for your sheep with other means of treatment, Mm -hmm. not just the chemicals. We talk about that in the book. Um, We talk about lambing because a lot of people are really intimidated by lambing. Um, And... 
um, I actually studied midwifery in between high school and college. So um, we just, and he did obstetrics for like a second in the MS school. So we just, mm-hmm. we, we weren't as intimidated by it, but we didn't want it to be a horrible experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've kind of gotten it down to where it's, we look forward to lambing season mm-hmm. now. Like it's, when we call it lambing season, like it's an actual season. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it is a, point in our year that's different but it's it's still very enjoyable it was great preparation for actual childbirth so <laughs> yeah, for you i was <laughs> otherwise occupied <laughs> well where um, can where can our listeners go find you so i am at whoopsiedaisyfarm.com is my website you can email me at whoopsiedaisyfarm at gmail.com um, we're on instagram and facebook at whoopsiedaisyfarm and how do you spell whoopsie daisy w h O-O-P-S-Y, Daisy. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Rachel and Kyle, for being on our show and just giving us this time, um, especially on a really special week like this week where um, your book just came out and you're also going to be speaking at the Homesteaders of America conference this weekend. So we're going to be really excited to listen to you speak all about dairy sheep and really excited to visit your booth and mm-hmm. and get some extra sheep milk soap from yes. you yeah thank you so much for joining us on the show and for anyone out there who's just interested in dairy sheep and is a little intimidated by it go check out this book it's a wealth of information and uh, be sure to check out whoopsie daisy farms on instagram and facebook and these are just some great people we learned so much and this is all we need to do right just build our community, continue to learn, and go homestead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time, stay healthy.